Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're in the 43rd Psalm. It has five verses only, and so we'll get the 43rd and 44th. The 44th has 26 verses. This 43rd Psalm is concerning David and his enemies. And of course, uh, David and God, David wanted to be right with God. And if you ever have enemies, you certainly want to be right with God in this situation. So in Psalm 43, verse 1, David says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Now, David knew he could expect a just verdict from a righteous judge who is God. Sometimes we don't know how to judge ourselves, and certainly others don't, do not know how to judge us, but God knows how to judge us. If we judge ourselves, we'll let ourselves get away with a lot. In other words, we, we're kind of prejudiced to ourselves, and we say, well, you know, I, I didn't do that bad. But God sees the whole truth, doesn't He? And then when others look at us, well, they, they may uh, judge us for something that we're not guilty of. And so God is the righteous judge, and He knows exactly uh, whether we're whether the whole truth is coming out or whether we're biased one way or another. And so he says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. If you have uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, uh, chapter 4 rather, no, 2 Corinthians chapter, no, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I beg your pardon. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want you to notice a couple of verses. Uh, verse 3 and 4. It says, But with me... Paul says, but with me, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. So he says, I can't be judged of you or of man's judgment. And he says, I don't even know how to judge my own self. He says, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Much the same thing that... David was saying, Judge me, O Lord, or O God. Then he says in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. So David knew, as well as Paul, that God would be the righteous judge. And then another thing, back in our psalm now, he says, uh, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. David wanted the Lord to plead his cause. Do you and I want God to plead our cause? The Bible says we have an advocate. Listen, First John chapter 2, verse 1. He says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So an advocate is a lawyer or an attorney or one that pleads our cause. And if God pleads our cause, he'll do it in the right way. You couldn't have a better attorney than him. And then in, uh, also in verse 1, it says, Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. You know, there are men that are deceitful, and there are men that are unjust. And uh, God shall avenge his very own elect. In Second Thessalonians 3, verse 2, let me read this one for you, because Paul is speaking here, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, much the same as David, and he says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. That was Paul, uh, Paul's uh, plea with God. That we may be delivered, now notice, from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. There are some men that are just naturally wicked, and some men 
are unjust and unrighteous and at the same time unreasonable, you cannot reason with them. It's a bad thing when men cannot reason together. God, even God condescended to us and says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And it's a terrible thing when men cannot talk things out and come to some consensus with one another and reason things out. So uh, uh, the psalmist holds your place where we're studying. He says, from, oh, deliver me from deceitful and unjust and unjust man. And then we find in verse 2, look at verse 2. David speaks of his God. He says, For thou art the God of my strength, the one who gives us strength. We cannot help but refer to Paul many times because Paul says, I can do all things through him which strengtheneth me. So he is the source of our strength. It says, Why dost thou cast, why dost thou cast me off? God is the one that has power to cast off. He has the one to bring uh, people down. There's a scripture, Second Chronicles. Let me read this for you. Chapter uh, 28 and verse 9. Second Chronicles 28 and verse 9 says uh, this, But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed, and he went out uh, before the host that came to Samaria, and he said unto them, Behold, because the Lord your God of your fathers was wroth with Judah, he hath delivered them into your hand. And ye have slain them in a rage that reacheth up to heaven, unto heaven. So God delivers into people's, into their hands, and, and, uh, He is the one that can cast off, and He is the one that has control of nations and men. In the last part of verse 2, in our verse that we're studying, He says, Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You know, sometimes it's very hard for us to understand why the Lord allows the enemies of our souls to oppress us. But oppression does come. Oppression comes to God's children. And we wonder why that so many people are against God's people because it's the devil uh, behind them. He's the one that inspires oppression against God's people. Wherever it may be around the world, he's the author of it. And so we, it's hard for us to understand why the Lord allows it. But the Bible uh, promises that in the end he will give us the victory. And then in verse 3, we have David's prayer. Look at verse 3. He says, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me, let them lead me, thy light and truth. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. I want you to notice this. First of all, uh, he asks for a surrendered heart. He says, Let them. Let them lead me. Let them. He was willing to be led by God's truth and God's light. And he asked for understanding. He wanted God's light. Paul says in the book of Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So God is the only one that is able to enlighten and give us understanding and bring his truth and his light unto us. He says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. And the entrance of thy words giveth light as well. Life and light comes from God. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John chapter 1. And then... In uh, the last part, of, in, in the middle of this verse, I want you to notice. He asked for leadership. He says, let them lead me. What? Let God's light and understanding and let God's truth lead us. You see, God enlightens His Word unto us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's by His Word or by the light upon His Word and through His Word that we need leadership. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. 
You see the reason a lot of people are not guided in the right way? They do not seek to be led by God's truth and by God's light that shines through that truth. You have the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God breathing upon that Word to give you a light and truth and give you understanding of, of the way of God's leadership. Some people ignore these two factors. Uh, remember in Ephesians chapter 6, six it says, Take the sword, the sword, that's the word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that Word to 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 life or to light and gives you understanding. And then it's that Word that guides you. That is the truth. He says, Jesus said in John uh, 17, Thy Word is truth. Guide me with thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And when people get away from God's Word as, a, as the real source of direction, then they're getting away from God. Because God says, uh, the Bible says, the psalmist says, Guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. So he wanted guidance. He wanted leadership. And then David's praise in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O O God, my God. The place of praise is the altar. By the way, the altar is typical of the cross of Christ. The place of suffering where atonement was made. This altar pictures Christ because it speaks of sacrifice. He says, then will I go into the altar of God. He could offer up sacrifices with a clear conscience and a clear heart. But we receive Christ as our sacrifice by faith. And we praise God for the, the blessings that come to us through Christ's sacrifice. You read uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, it says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And notice the kind of praise. He says, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. It was the kind of praise was exceeding joy. If you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, let me give you verses 6 through 8. It's a very good scripture in relation to what we're studying here. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 6 through 8. Notice this very carefully. It says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now look. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it might be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, now look at this, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So it tells you there that uh, the exceeding joy of praise. We can praise God for many things in our lives. For life and health and strength, for His supply of our needs, for His blessings. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Oh, God has been so good to all of us. I was thinking uh, since uh, last Friday, Friday I had a terrible time speaking. I had, I've had these mouth ulcers and had places in my mouth. And I've been praying a lot and doing the best thing I know to get them cured up and healed up. And Sunday morning I was a whole lot better. And all of this week it's been almost miraculous that I have 
I told my wife yesterday and today, the day before, I said, it's the first time I've been able to speak without hurting or eat without hurting. And I'm just thankful to God for that because uh, I don't have that problem today. And I'm trying to do everything I can to remedy it. And the Lord has been real good to me. You know, it's, it's real hard to, to preach when you're hurting and when every word you say is pain. And that's the way it's been for a lot of times. And that's why I slurred my words a whole lot. And uh, so there's a reason for it. But anyway, I am thankful. And we can thank God for, for life every day in health and strength. And then the instruments of praise. Notice he says, Upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. So there are instruments of praise and of music. And here the harp was spoken of in the Old Testament. And then I want you to notice uh, in chapter, in uh, 43, verse 5, it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David asked himself the question. He scolds himself for the lack of hope. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Do you ever ask yourself, why are you cast down? We must not go altogether by our feelings. We, we should not be cast down. We should be lifted up. Remember, Paul speaks of the hope of the second coming of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. We don't need to go around like people that have no hope. He says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, the word means precede or go before, them which are asleep, or the dead in Christ. But the dead in Christ shall arise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we don't need to be cast down. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? You've heard me preach of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were those uh, that went according to the perfect letter of the law, and and uh, and uh, the Sadducees were those that did not believe in the resurrection or any spirit or any hereafter or any heaven. And you've heard me say that that's why they were sad, you see, is because they have no hope. Sad, you see, have no hope. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Well, we shouldn't be cast down, should we? And David scolds himself for having a feeling of unrest. He says, Why art thou disquieted within me? For having a spirit of unrest. When Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth peace, give I unto you. In the 14th of John. And then he said in John 16, In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. So if we're going to have the peace, we have to know what he has spoken, right? So the word automatically brings peace. In Psalm 85, I believe it is. Let's see if we can find it. I believe it's verse 6. Psalm 85 and verse verse 8. It says, I will hear what the, listen, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. Now, what's he going to speak? For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. You see, it's a lack of letting God's word speak to us that we don't have peace. He will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. That's, that's uh, Psalm 85, verse 8. That's a good verse, isn't it? 
And just much as Jesus says uh, uh, in uh, John, I believe it's 16, verse 33, you might look. But he says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. So he's spoken that in him we might have peace. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation. That's a fact of, of life in the world. But he says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As long as we have God's word giving us the peace that we need, well, then we'll be all right. And then the, the latter part of this verse, he says, and hold your place where we're studying. And when I say the latter part of this verse, I'm always talking about the context of Scripture. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. The future of his hope. The basis was his hope in God. Hope in God, he says. That's the basis of his hope. For I shall yet praise him. That's the future of his hope. And then he says, who is the health of my countenance and my God. This is the means of his hope. The Lord will remove all that mars our happiness, such as sin and shame and fear and sorrow and weakness, if we will but let him. And we need to trust in him with all of our heart. In Revelation 21, verse 4, it says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there's going to be a time that we'll have all the blessings of God upon us without any hindrance or without any, anything that would be of a negative nature. He said that all tears, tears of sorrow, tears of sickness, tears of suffering. And so there is a future for God's people, but it's in eternity. The future now in this life is to live for God and to serve God while we have life. I've always marveled at Brother Walker when he prays. He says, Lord, use us while we're still, all of while we're upon this earth. And that's what we need to be, is just used as a servant of God while we're here upon this earth. And do the very best we can to serve the Lord. None of us are perfect. We'll do, even at our best, the Bible says man at his best state is altogether what? Vanity. At his best state, not his worst state, but his best state. That's the best that we've got to offer. So, John, you're getting that, aren't you? He's been sitting here long enough, he's got it. I tell you what, you know when you attend church, you learn these things as you go along and you nail them down, grasp the whole something. Sometimes there's a word that just stands out to people. Have you ever read the scripture and just some word just jump out to you like it was in neon light? And that's why God has a personal message to each one of us uh, in his word. And that's why we need to study it and let it speak to our hearts. Then we find in chapter 44 the history of the nation of Israel. Look at uh, Psalm 44. And we find the first four verses show us Israel's conquest of Canaan. And I want us to look at this. <clears throat> or the first three verses, I should say. And then God, God is presented to them as Israel's king. The first three verses. It says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. It was told by the fathers from one generation to another. And by the way, that's the way the gospel should be passed on from one generation to the other. And remember Paul told Timothy, he says, The things that thou hast learned, heard of me, the same you commit to faithful men. Listen, who shall be able to what? Teach others also. And it's passed on from word to mouth, right on down. And I'm thinking of the professors that uh, taught me, and I'm thinking of those that taught them generations in the past and you can look back at great men of God and it's you and I are to pass it on to others and then 
hopefully they will receive those same blessings and same convictions and pass them on to the next generation. And so Paul told Timothy, the same things that I've taught you, you commit to faithful men. He says, put it in their care that they may be able to teach others also. You know, I, I cannot help but but uh, glory in the men that, that I was privileged to, to learn under. Dr. Conley, Dr. Godsoe, Dr. Earl K. Oldham. I mean, some great men of God uh, back there. And Dr. George Norris and, uh, and Dr. Raymond Barber. And there are just multitudes, just numbers of them uh, that uh, I could call their names. And uh, we just appreciate them so much. Roy A. Kemp. Roy Kemp could take the book of Revelation and teach teach that book of Revelation. He had charts. He hung all over the wall. Great big charts. And he, he, he would point to the chart, but he'd quote you the verses. And he knew it from, from Revelation, the first verse, chapter 1, verse 1 to 22, 21. And he knew every verse in there. And he'd say, now in chapter 4, verse 5, it says so and so. And he'd teach it. And he was... He was a wonderful teacher, as well as many others that I knew. And it's my business to try to, to ground into the people that are under my ministry and those that listen to me, young and old, the things of God that uh, were given to me. And uh, I, I try my best to do that. And so let's go on with this. It says in verse uh, 1, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what worked out is in their days in the times of old. It was told by the fathers from one generation to another. And in verse 2, it says, How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. That was the enemies. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arms save them. Israel did not get it by their own power. But thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. God gave them the land. Israel could not have conquered the land without God's help. You read Joshua 24, verses 8 through 13, and I won't have time to read it. But it tells of how that God gave them the land. And, uh, well, may, may we just turn to it for a moment. Joshua 24. Let me just read a few verses. In verse uh, 8, it says, I brought you out from, uh, un I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan. In that same verse, he says, I gave them into your hand and on down. And then verse 13, for I have given you a land for which you did not labor. Verse 13, this is Joshua 24, verse 13. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and the cities which you built not, and you dwelt in them of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not. Do ye eat? Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in the land of Egypt, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua appreciated the fact that God had given them the land. It was by grace, wasn't it? Okay, back in our text now. Psalm 44. So in verses, verse 4 now it says, Thou art my king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. He gave the command. 
in, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, let me read this verse for you. It says, The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in, thy, in all that thou settest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What does it say? The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee. You see, it's God who commands the blessing. And you know, as God commanded the blessing for the nation of Israel, so will God command the blessing upon you and I individually and upon the church locally. And it's according to His command and His blessing that anything happens for good in the church. And it's according to His command and His blessing that, that anything good comes into your life, and it's by His grace. You see, God has control of it. He can turn it for good, even though others may mean it for evil. It doesn't make any difference what it is. A little that a, a little that a righteous man has is better than all the wealth and riches of the wicked. Whatever amount God has given you, it's a better blessing than all the wicked. Learn to accept God's blessings as sufficient for your needs. And don't, don't go around. Let me tell you a secret. Don't always complain about being so poor because God may someday make you very poor and then you'll really have something to complain about. Always thank Him for what you have and maybe He just might say, well, you know, that fellow really appreciates this. And He might just say, I'm going to give him a little more because he can handle it. You see, God does things like that. He just does. Okay, let's go on to the next thing here. It says, Thou art my King, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob. Verse 5 says, through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them uh, that under that rise up against us. Through thy name. He gives us power to perform. The Bible says, For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Look at verse 6. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. He alone has the power to save. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7, verse 25. He alone is able to save. Do you trust in your bow or your sword? Do you trust in your own power? Do you trust in your own weapons? Do you trust in your own defenses? Or do you trust in God's defenses? You know, the very moment we think we've got it all figured out and we have it under our own control, we're just barking up the wrong tree, aren't we? But God has it under His control, and He gives us His blessings. It says, But thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. Thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever, Selah. So it's, it's in God that He gave uh, the blessings and praise to. He received glory from the nation of Israel. Now then, let's notice in verse 9. We find Israel's blindness spoken of in verses 9 through 15. Israel was blinded. But thou hast cast off and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. Remember, Paul says blindness has happened in part to Israel. They did not know that they had, uh, why they had been cut off. The nation did not know why they had been cut up cut off. He says, Thou hast cut, cast off and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. In Romans 11, Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 35, it's a long, long uh, passage of Scripture, but I'll just read a couple of verses. I think the best one, 
Verse 20 would help. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. But thou standest by faith. Have verse 20. And then it says in verse 25, it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Speaking to the Gentile world, he says that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. See, God made a covenant with Israel. And that whole 11th of uh, Romans would be good to read. We won't have time to read it. But you read it concerning the fact that they did not realize why they had been cut off. But they were cut off because of unbelief, because of their lack of faith in God and serving God. They just didn't follow God. And God says, okay, if that's the way you feel about it, I'll just cut you off. And I'll give the, give the blessings to the Gentiles. And then he says, but all Israel shall be saved. Finally, they're going to return. In fact, we have it in this psalm where they repent and turn to God and ask for his redemption. This psalm is rather prophetic of what happens to the nation of Israel. That they're now cut off and, and they will repent and turn back. But let's notice their condition back in the psalm now, verse 10. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy and they which hate us spoil... Uh, for themselves, God gave the victory to Israel, Israel's enemies instead of to Israel. God used wicked nations to bring them down. That was a puzzle to Israel, wasn't it? But they should have known because of their unbelief and their turning away from God that they brought this upon themselves. Look in verse 11. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for me and hast scattered us among the heathen. Israel was scattered among the Gentile nations. This happened in... By the way, later on it happened in 70 A.D. under the Roman ruler Titus. And when this psalm was written, it was prophecy. But now it's history because it's happened to Israel. Now it's been fulfilled in every detail as far as Israel being scattered among the nations. Verse 12 says, Thou sellest thy people for naught and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Verse 13, Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them uh, that are round about us. Israel was made a despised people. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. They were a byword. Look in Deuteronomy 28, verse 37. Deuteronomy 28, and verse 37. It says this. Well, let's read verse 36 and 37. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee, unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, and there... Shalt thou serve other gods, wood and stone, and thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord thy God shall lead thee. This is why God at various times has brought chastening and judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. And he said they would be a, 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 what? a proverb and a byword. They'd become an astonishment. And Israel has been an astonishment to the uh, world, even during this day and age, because of the fact that the Bible speaks of God being with the nation of Israel, and yet we find them separated and scattered, and we know they're back in their homeland in unbelief, and they still disregard and have not recognized the Messiah. I'm talking about as a whole, not that they're not some individual converted uh, of the nation and the people of Israel, but I'm talking about as a whole. And they will recognize him, and the Lord's coming is soon. And when 
The Bible tells us that they shall look on him whom they pierced and shall mourn for him as for an only son. There will be a conversion of the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation period. And before that, though, what's going to happen? The rapture is going to take place and the dead in Christ shall rise and the living saints will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the, with them to meet the Lord in the air. Then there will be a seven-year period of tribulation upon this earth. And then the Lord is coming in Revelation 19 in power and great glory back to this earth. By the way, you've probably been noticing in the last few days all kinds of things being stuck on your door and out on the windshields of the cars and this Bible prophecy meeting they're going to have. I haven't had a time to look at it, but I was in Roswell yesterday and it was all over. They had them under every a windshield wiper and they've blown all over the, the parking lots everywhere. But the thing about it is, when you listen to prophecy, you better get your feet on the ground first because there's a lot of people that's got all these things so twisted up, you'll think you're in the middle of the tribulation period now, and you're not until the Lord comes. It's going to get worse. It's bad enough. It is bad. I'm not going to disagree with them on that point, because it is bad. We have all these uh, calamities, all these things coming upon the, the earth. and uh, there, uh, You know, the pace of judgment and wrath and and chastening intensifies, and especially when you get into the after the saints are gone, it will just really intensify during the tribulation period. It'll seem like there's a greater rapidity to the happenings, the events. Now we've noticed. Well, we noticed. We noticed the earthquakes. We noticed the the various uh, uh, violent acts like Oklahoma City. We noticed the hail the other day down in Fort Worth. We noticed the tornadoes here and there. The storms. We noticed also uh, today, I think it said Louisiana had another 18 inches of rain. You see all the CNN news, the floods. Yesterday they had about the same amount, or the day before. And it's just terrible. It's just flooded. Well, you know, all these things happen. And it's all in God's due time that He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to wake us up to, to individual and personal uh, sanctification, repentance, and turning... And as a nation and as a people, too, to turn to God. This is, a, this is a wicked world we're living in. And the Bible says, Wicked men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we better be prepared to face whatever comes. But uh, as we think about these things, well, let's notice the next verse. In verse uh, 15 it says, my confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. Israel's, Israel is a confused people. And the shame, of course, we could give you references. I have a combination of references in the Old and New Testament. And I don't have time to turn to every reference, but I just want to kind of give you the gist of it as we go along. Second Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15 would be a good one for that verse. And then in the latter part of the verse, it says... For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger. We know that there are those that would uh, would cause uh, the Lord a lot of uh, disrespect. And there are those that would blaspheme. Now then, verse 17. Let's pick that up. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. She, she has not forgotten the Lord, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. 
Then verse 18 says, Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. She does not believe that she is backslidden. You know, Israel at times did not believe they were backslidden from God. There's been many times that they said, Wherein have we not followed thee or obeyed thee? If you turn to Malachi chapter 3, but you say, Wherein shall we return? Let me, let me give you Malachi chapter 3. The last book of the Old Testament. I think it must be a noise somewhere else, isn't it? Rather than the speakers. Okay, Malachi 3. Let's pick up with verse 7. It says, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away. God says to Israel, Even from the days of your fathers you have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, Wherein shall we return? Wherein shall we return? See, they didn't even know that they were away from God. And it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? And then God says, In tithes and offerings. And he says, You are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Well, we've got a lot of noise. I think that's a little... I know what it is now. It's that little speaker in the nursery picking up all this stuff, causing this problem. I was not quite ahead of it either. In other words, it's hard to compete, is what I'm trying to say. It says uh, in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we? See, they were always asking the question, Wherein shall we return? Wherein have we robbed thee? You know, when people cannot see their own sins, it's terrible, isn't it? You know, you tell a guy, Well, now look, this is what you need to do. You need to turn to God in this way because, you know, it's not right to walk the way you're walking. And some guy says, Well, you know, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing, you know. That's the logical answer. That's the nation of Israel. Wherein, you know, we could go on about tithes and offerings, which is not the subject, but let's go on with this now. Back in our psalm. So she did not believe she was backslidden. Look at verse 18 again. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Though thou hast sore broken us in the uh, place of dragon and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have... Forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God. Shall not God search out, for he knoweth the secrets of the heart? She claims to be faithful, though she's utterly destitute of God's blessings. And she does not know that she's departed from God. But she does know that she cannot fool God. She says, God, shall not God search this out? They at least knew that much. The Bible tells us that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, verse 13. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verse 12, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, the word of God, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then it says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, <coughs> but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Have you, have you ever seen people that go along in life, life as if, you know, God doesn't see, God doesn't know, and, you know, they can get by with anything? The Bible says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. They say, because God hasn't judged, he's not going to. That's not the case. Don't put him to the test. Because someday, he may just surprise you and bring the chastening that is due. 
And don't ever tempt God and say, well, God, you know, you're not there. You're not going to do anything about it. You can't fool God. And then the next verse, verse 22, notice what it says. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know, we're continually exposed to danger. Uh, Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 36. He says, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. And then verses 23 through 26, we have Israel's repentance. First, it's Israel's prayer, Israel's complaint, Israel is humbled, and Israel's redemption. Four things in these next uh, several verses. First of all, Israel's prayer. He says, Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. The first thing is, wake up, though. They're trying to wake God up to help them. In verse 24, their complaint. Wherefore hidest thou thy face? And forgettest our affliction and our oppression. Their complaint was that God had forgotten them. Like Jesus cried out to Jerusalem, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. He says, How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? But ye would not. And he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. You see, their complaint was that God had forgotten them in their affliction, but they had brought about this condition themselves. And then Israel is humbled. Verse 25. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. You know, sometimes it pays us to humble ourselves before God. And then the last thing is Israel's redemption. Notice. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Well, the last thing they said was good, wasn't it? Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Israel's redemption. And by the... Way when we are brought to the to the humility place, and then we're brought to the place to ask for His redemption and His mercy to be extended. We're getting in a better condition of heart, so it ends up pretty good.